March 22, 2015, the Yemen war started, killing hundreds of thousands in just a few and in just a few years later, the World Health Organization declared that Yemen is going through one of the worst humanitarian crises. There's no other way to describe the situation that's going on there. I mean, it is a humanitarian crisis. Children, families are starving to the point where they're starting to eat anything that's, from what I heard, anything that's green or any plant that they can see. And uh, like, there is like a huge amount of just, you know, poverty, would you call it? Or can, can you describe to us what's going on and what's, what's happening? Yeah, I mean, the, it is. It's 80% of the population is in need of humanitarian aid. So, you know, it goes from even the, even the people that had jobs before, you have to keep in mind that things have gotten more expensive. So even the person that was making any amount of money, now transportation is 500% more expensive. Vegetables, bread, all the basics are much more expensive. So your purchasing power, you've lost purchasing power. So it's not just the, the kind of the poor people that were already poor. It's also the middle class that was middle class. Now the money, the money that you did have, now it's basically worth nothing. I mean, you can barely make ends meet. So that's just to give you an idea of what the situation is like in Yemen. And then you've got to make hard decisions as a father. So you might have, let's say you had $100 worth of money or $50 worth of money. You have to decide now, do you use it? for food or do you use it to take care of your kid who may have gotten cholera or may have gotten some other disease so now as a father you have to decide do i feed my family do i take care of them forget paying rent or forget about doing those kind of things so you've got a lot of life and death situations that the average yemeni is having to face at this point and it's like a daily thing that they have to make these kind of choices. It's not like a few days and it's gone. It's been like this for quite some time now. I mean, absolutely. I mean, the situation in Yemen has been very difficult. I mean, even from before the, you know, the, the, uh, the airstrikes began in March 2015. But I mean, now the war has basically made everything worse, you know, and, and so you have you know, situation like the cholera, uh, you know, there was over a million cases of cholera. It was the, one of the worst, I think it was the worst recorded uh, crisis of cholera worldwide. So, I mean, this was before we even get into talking about COVID-19 in Yemen. Mm -hmm. This is before that. We, we were already dealing with a war and, and, um, and these kind of sicknesses. How did cholera spread? What's the trace behind it? Well, I mean, cholera, you know, there's uh, water and sanitation and hygiene problem around the country. You know, you have, you know, problems with sewage in many different areas. Um, if you get outside of the main cities of Sana'a and Aden and all these main cities, 
even in those cities, you have a, a, a really serious sewage issue. So if you have heavy rains like they do have every season, you know, you have many areas that you don't have proper sewage. And then you also have a waste system problem where you have waste not being picked up. So you leave that going on for even if you leave that going on for a week, you have a serious problem very quickly. Mm -hmm. And then um, COVID came in. And how'd that affect oh, yeah. everything post that? I mean, of course. I mean, it's a nightmare. I mean, people, I mean, for one, for it came in April 10th, 2020. You know, the first case was reported in Hadramont, uh, in the eastern part of the country. You know, at first people thought, well, I mean, maybe because Yemen was so isolated, it wouldn't, you know, it, it prolonged getting to Yemen. But I mean, eventually um, it did arrive to Yemen. To all all governors inside of Yemen right now, and and I think one of the main issues with that is, you know, we think about the two messaging that we're hearing in the West or even in the other parts of the Middle East is, it's important to so to be to isolate yourself socially, and then the second thing they talk about washing your hands. Well, okay, well let's look at that now in the Yemen context. How do you how do you isolate yourself socially? If you live day in and day out, you've got to go to work and be in these markets just to survive. So you can't even do that. And then the second issue is, well, how do you wash your hands with no water? Where are you going to get water from? You know, and so there's so many areas where you've got women. It's often the women that are walking two, three, four hours every trip to go get water. And that water is not like it's good water. It's, I mean, it's, it's water um, not good water mm -hmm. to drink. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so these are the kind of things that they're trying to face COVID-19, but yet, you know, they don't have the basic things to, to deal with that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's just, that's just for starters, you know, regarding COVID-19. What started the whole situation that's happening in Yemen? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there was a disgruntled, uh, you, you know, the Hosis that were from the northern part of the country. They border, they're from an area called Saada in the northern part that borders Saudi Arabia. And they have, even before 2015, they were, um, you know, feeling that they were being marginalized. There had been some smaller wars that happened even before 2015. So they took, you know, they took opportunity that the population was feeling there was a, at the point where they came into Sana'a, they came in from the north, you can see on your map from Sada, mm -hmm. and they came all the way down to Sana'a and they basically took over the, they took over the capital city and they started to keep going down and they went all the way down to Aden and they continued to fight in Aden until the southerners uh, basically kicked them out and so now the borderline is uh, is somewhere in Taiz. Taiz is one of the split cities. It's one of the cities that's seen one of some of the toughest fighting. So that's when uh, the that's when uh, you know Abdul Rabbu the you know the the recognized president of uh, Yemen um, he left uh, to Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia began to get involved with a, uh, you know, a coalition and they started to bomb, 
you know, with the excuse of returning the legitimate government mm-hmm. per se, but keep in, you know, but keep in mind, you know, Abdul Rabu, he, he came to power in a one, a one ballot vote. He was the only one on the ballot. <laughs> uh, so some, some, some would say, you know, how legitimate <laughs> is that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all to say it became, you know, in many people's view, a proxy war, you know, Iran backing, uh, backing the Hosis, you know, and Saudi Arabia backing up uh, Abdul Rabu's government. Mm-hmm. So that, in short, is how it began. And uh, why were the Houthis, like, against uh, Abdul Rabu, I think is how you say his name. I'm not sure because I haven't heard of him, to be honest. Right. But the legitimate, right. well, uh, the legitimate, the, the legitimate, I can't say the word, but you know who I'm talking about, right? The, right. Right. Well, they had been, they had felt that they were marginalized since Ali Abdullah Salas, you know, since he was in power, you know, he had been in power for many years and they had already felt like marginalized since then. So I don't think it was necessarily against Abdul Rabbu, but it was against the current uh, sitting government. They felt they weren't being given their rights. They felt they were marginalized and basically had enough of that and decided to take it into their own hands. Mm-hmm. Okay, and all of this has led to, obviously, the GCC countries and the United States sending their planes and airstrikes and all that stuff. So uh, we know that this happened, but what people often don't record or don't take interest in is once these airstrikes happened, how did it affect the lives of normal civilians? You know, people who have nothing to do with what's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been living in the country during airstrikes, and it, it and basically it puts you into a prison. You're basically in a prison, which is your home, right? Because you have airstrikes, you have snipers, so you can't. You have to think about how am I going to get food every day, you know? And when you have airstrikes, you also have to think about the the like I said, the the petrol goes up. You have to think about all these different things that it takes to survive. You know, there's no power. So you have to think, well, how am I going to charge my phone? How am I going to have any kind of electricity? So you'll hear when I, you you hear on my show, I talk a lot about a resilient people because when Yemenis didn't have power, they start thinking about green solutions. When they didn't have water because they don't get water from the city, they started to catch water from the rain. So they had rain water catchment systems. So where, whenever Yemen is hit, they always seem to come back with a solution. And, mm. and that's why when I look at the situation as a third party, I say, you know, there is no amount of bombing. I mean, there's been now five years of bombing and, and Yemenis are resilient. The people that are bombing are going about their lives as best as they can. And so I don't really see that the, the, the Abdul Rabu government has any viability or any, will have any respect moving forward. So I think that's one thing that's hard to, to imagine why they continue with this bombardment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so 
let's let's talk a little about a little bit about your experiences and what you've seen personally uh happening in uh Yemen. So you visited all the cities that you've mentioned, right? Yes, I've visited them all. I mean so, the ones that I've mentioned, yeah. So you visit you visited uh uh Taiz is how you say it? Yeah, Taiz. That's where it's hit hardest. Ties is where it's hit the hardest, right? Yeah, right. Still, mm-hmm. that, that is, has seen a lot of the a lot of the fighting. So a lot of this, you know, street fighting. So they've had airstrikes, but mm-hmm. they've all, they've also had a lot of street fighting because the city has been split. You've mm-hmm. got one side being, you know, is backed by the Abdurrabu government by the Saudi-led coalition, and then the other side is run by the Houthis. So you've had basically, in a, in a way, like this kind of trench warfare where the line has gone back, you know, not much over the last five years. And so the people of Thais have really been hit, you know, very hard. And of course, the cities around Thais have been affected because you have all these internally displaced people that have left Thais to go into surrounding cities like Ib and other areas. Mm-hmm. So, so there are safer cities right now, or would you say generally Yemen, um, most of it's affected by this? Well, the entire country is affected in some way or another because the economy has gone down the drain if there mm-hmm. was one before that. You know, the education system has gone down the drain as well. The health system has gone down as well. But of course, there are cities that are, if you can say better, you know, it's like I would say, it's it's better to live in Ib. It's better right now to be in uh, Mukalla rather than you know in Taiz or in Sada or in Sada, which basically just was flattened. I mean, they basically just you know bombarded the entire city as they considered that a combatant area, but since that was where the Hothis were from, right. which was you said that was in the north, right? Right, which was in the north, or even recently, you know, there was a there was a split between the Saudi-led coalition and the and the Southern Transitional Council. You know, there was a split. There was a split inside of the uh, Saudi-led coalition, and so there was some fighting in the south, even just recently. Interesting. All right. And there is not much too much place for Yemeni people to go right now, right? Other than within Yemen. Um, are they going to Saudi? Are they going yeah. to different Arab countries? What's the um, situation? Well, mm-hmm. well the, thing, the thing is, it's like, you know, you have the, you, you know, you have the Gulf countries that are behind a lot of this bombing. And yet they're not allowed to go to these countries to take refuge. So they're often left going to Djibouti, which is basically, you know, it's Mm a 45 degree weather all year round. Some people would call it worse. I mean, even now, there's Africans and Somalian and other nations coming to Yemen. Can you imagine? (laughs) Do you think about how bad their their countries are (laughs) if they're risking it to go to Yemen? Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. there's not a lot of places you can go as a mm-hmm. Yemeni. You know, mm-hmm. you know we, I think the the kingdom of 
Jordan has done has received you know quite a bit of them. Uh, Egypt has received some of them, but it's still it's you know for a Yemeni going to Jordan is very expensive, you mm-hmm. know, and so it's still very very limiting where Yemenis can actually go to. Okay, so uh, what are your comments on like the? the coalition and like the efforts that's been put, do you see that there has been a difference or is there, you know, like, well, well I want to hear your opinion on the subject. On their efforts in what? In the war? Yeah. Against the Houthis. I mean, you know, there, there's Yemenis that I speak to that are educated. Mm-hmm. There are, one of their main issues is even those that are that weren't that involved before. One of their main issues is what they call yani which is you know um, interference. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's one of their main issues. Okay. Yeah, you know, they they in, there was an outside interference. So there are many people. It's not like you're pro Hosi and you're against Saudi-led coalition, but it's just the fact that you know they they're they're being bombarded by this outside force that is now trying to divide up the country and decide who's going to be in the leadership of it so i mean my main opinion is that the war it, it is very easy for the war to stop because without ammunition without us uk uh canadian and all these other countries selling weapons to the saudi led coalition there would be no war. So if you don't have weapons and you don't have more bullets, you, the war is going to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, the Saudis can't continue with this war on, on their own. They can't do it with the coalition. They need intelligence. They need weaponry. They need refueling. They knew all these things. And so I think my opinion is that I think that there should, there needs to be a strong sense from the people Say you know pressure in the government in the in the parliament globally that this war is inhumane and wrong on every level and it should stop. Mm-hmm. And I think then people can start then discussing well who needs to be at the table to start discussing how things should uh, should be governed in Yemen. Mm-hmm. Okay. And whose responsibility is that to I mean, would the UN be in charge of organizing something like that? Or I don't know how this works. I mean, the, rea- the reality is, you know, the, the reality is the top influencers have to be, you know, have to be involved. You have to have the U.S. involved and you have to have, you, you know, the, the key players on the Security Council that are making these decisions. You know, they have to be fully involved and they have to be involved in, and not selling weapons. I mean, you had just the UK recently restart selling weapons to Yemen again, even though it was, it's clearly proven that their weapons have been used to destroy schools. Children have been killed because of these weapons. And so, you know, again, why is it not happening? Well, the reality is, the sad reality is, making weapons and selling weapons creates jobs and helps people to get reelected. So that's a reality that's there in the world, but 
I believe that if there's enough noise, if there's enough pressure, if there's enough lobbying, you do have certain senators in the United States and you have different parliamentaries in the UK that have begun to make a voice against the war. And I think that's what, you know, I think that's why these podcasts and that's why all the opportunities to speak about this need to, you know, need to be a louder voice. And this is why we also have you here. Now, uh, have was there any, like, donations by any country that helped somewhat improve the lives of Yemen or the Yemenis? That, like, I don't know, I mean, was there or? I mean, let me ask you a question. If I go bomb your house and then the next day I said, hey, here's a fruit basket, how do you feel about that? So that's a little bit, a little True. bit of what it's like. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know the Saudi-led coalition. It's clear. You know who's bombing. The Yemenis will say it's the Saudi-led coalition. It's thanks to the Western countries that were being bombed. Why? Why is the richest country in the AP being bombed? By, why is the poorest country of the AP being bombed by the richest country of the AP? I mean, how is that right on any level? Mm-hmm. And so if then you say, oh, you know, my, the poor, my poor neighbor, I just bombed you, but here's some rice. You know, you, you guys know Arab culture, like, haram, you know, on mm-hmm. every level, you know, you know. And then on top of that, which we have to keep in mind, we don't often realize that in the West, is Yemen is a tribal society. Mm-hmm. So Yemen is like the Pashtu. You know, there's a high level of honor. There's a high level of of honor in this. And so, you know, they don't you don't you don't forget if mm-hmm. somebody kills your brother, if somebody kills your father, you don't just forget because somebody gave you some rights. I know about this because I come from a tribe that originated from Yemen. Ninety percent of the tribes originated from Yemen. So when you say Yemen is very tribal, it only makes sense to me. So I, mm-hmm. I do actually understand. Yes, this this is a thing, right? So uh, right. you're you're absolutely right on like what you said. I like I'm trying to pick and see what I can counter argue, but there really <laughs> isn't. To be honest, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie. I have been trying to think. Okay, what's he saying? Maybe I can. No, everything you've said is it's true. The truth, yeah. Yeah, like I can't mm-hmm. argue with that. That's mm-hmm. that's completely right. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. It's completely disgusting what's happening. Like it, how, it doesn't make sense to me that you know a, 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 a rich, relatively let's say rich country is just like bombing the shit out of a poor country. You know? mm-hmm. 